This is Sarah Bordeaux, and you are listening to Pod Sam, the podcast channel of Sam Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. On this episode of Pod Sam, Associate Editor Sarah Wojcik sits down for two conversations with Constance Beverly, CEO of the Share Winter Foundation. The first took place on a walk down Burlington, Vermont's waterfront, and since there's a little bit of wind noise, we hopped on the phone with Constance a month later to talk again and to share some updates, including a special announcement. If you're not familiar with Share Winter, it's a grant-making organization working to improve the lives, health, and fitness of youth through winter sports. Just last season, they partnered with 16 programs that helped bring 38,000 youth to the slopes. In this episode, we'll learn more about the program and what's happening this season. If you're not familiar with Constance, you definitely should be. So let's get to know her. This is Sarah Wojcik. Constance Beverly. We're just taking a little walk here in Burlington, Vermont. Constance is visiting at the moment, and we're going to talk a little bit about her organization, Share Winter. Yeah. So, Constance, tell me a little bit about how Share Winter started. So, the Share Winter Foundation was formerly known as the National Winter Sports Education Foundation. We changed it because that's a mouthful. Yeah. I think yeah. Share Winter's easier. I did, yeah. A little bit. Yeah, just a smidge. <laughs> it looks cooler on a jacket, yeah. not going to lie. Um, but it was an initiative that actually grew out of the U.S. ski team um, and some very dedicated people there who realized that we needed more youth participating in skiing and snowboarding and we needed programs that made the sport more accessible to youth around the country, traditionally not maybe getting so involved in winter sports uh, and realizing that kids being healthy and active in the winter was a very positive thing, especially looking at rising childhood obesity Mm -hmm. epidemic and what can we do? Well, why don't we make skiing and snowboarding more accessible? I mean, affordable. Um, Affordable, (laughs) affordable, and also accessible from the standpoint of making people feel welcome as part of the winter sports community, which has a very distinct look and feel and a reputation for being, reputation and statistically, uh, predominantly high wealth, upper middle class and above, highly educated, male dominant and very very white yes um but it's not all that way there are all kinds of people from all kinds of places that are shredding in their own way and really enjoying this wonderful sport that you know made me give up my life on wall street Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. you know yeah powerful i was literally writing legal briefs in the back of a van from new york to killington that my friends were driving to try and make this fit in my life and i uh just realized the importance of it and one of the few times that I actually got out of the firm was when I was teaching kids from Stoked Mentoring how to snowboard. Okay. So this will be my third winter at Share Winter. My third winter sharing winter. Oh, I mean, let's stay on good. brand. That's good. Uh, <laughs> this, is why, this is why the name really comes in handy. Uh, so I took over and we were funding and supporting. So not only do we provide funds, but we also provide advice, data, research, um, we're a good sounding board for executive directors who want to figure out kinks in their program, figure out best practices. Sure. So we say that generally we provide funding and other resources. So I like to think of us kind of as an incubator. Okay. I come, you know, when I left the law, I was at a tech company and I was part of a tech incubator. And I realized no one really does that for nonprofit programs. Yeah. No one provides marketing advice and growth hacking or and how efficiency. to become more efficient. <laughs> and how to become more efficient or how to optimize. Uh, resources and how to utilize data to impact your business. So I had seen programs from the inside 
knew sort of where resources were lacking yeah. or where those pain points were. And we just started figuring out how could we utilize the funds that we raised to address those pain points. Speaking of optimizing resources, the winds off Lake Champlain started to butt in here. So we're going to switch now and continue the conversation between Constance and Sarah with clean, crisp audio from over the phone. Um, we touched on this a little bit too about data collection yes. um, when we were chatting last time. Um, you're doing a lot of that. Um, why? <laughs> how? What is it providing? You know, yeah. So what's the, the goal for the future with that? So the why is when we developed our programs, look, there's a lot of organizations, including organizations we fund, who've been around for a decade, 20, 25 years, mm -hmm. saying we're creating new skiers and riders, we're creating diverse skiers and riders. And then you look at the national stats and it's not adding up. Yeah. So in anything, and we treat our nonprofit like a business we you're not donating you're investing um and any other successful business including every business within our industry relies on data and metrics in order to make strategic business and decisions in order to make investments in order to innovate and make change so we told all of our programs basically if you're going to get money from us you have to collect data because how am i supposed to know if you're creating skiers and riders if all you say is yeah 25 kids went skiing this year Right. That means nothing. And we found the same thing as when we, we spoke to resorts who had been supporting these programs. Resorts with very high-tech technology that can track everywhere you go on the mountain. We'd say, well, how many of these kids come back? How, like, how many of them became skiers and riders? And they would literally say to us, we just hand them a stack of marketing coupons. They're not going to become skiers and riders. We don't know who they are. It's just a nice thing that we do. Oh, That's a huge miss, right? Yeah. So one of the things we were hoping to do is, and we are doing, is when we work with mountains, they're helping collect the data too. The teachers in the programs, they're collecting attendance and registration and demographic data. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's the mountains with our school programs because they have online systems where people sign up and provide all of that. But once the kids are on mountain and they're working with the ski instructor, they're collecting that skills-based data that they would for any other kid mm -hmm. that's coming to ski school. And if they're not, that's part of the problem. Yeah. We did find that a lot of programs where things were being donated or instructors weren't uh, professional instructors, they were volunteers, there was no skills-based yeah. assessment. Um, I used to personally volunteer with a program where volunteers would be like, if a kid wanted to go on a black diamond, you took them, and if they came down on their butt on a snowboard, yeah, they came down a black diamond. That kid had a horrible time and never came back. <laughs> they got to tell their friend that they could snowboard a black diamond. <laughs> when you're really talking about creating skiers and riders, you would never do that in real ski school or in one where people felt that right. parents were investing a lot of money. We wanted to change that paradigm and say, we are that parent for 45,000 kids and we want to know that our money's being well spent. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and also to provide data back where, you know, we do hear a lot like these kids, which makes me want to scream every time. Mm -hmm. Um, it can, you can imagine what the industry describes as these kids. Um, they're not skiers or riders. They're not progressing. But when we can show that our very diverse group of kids on a whole are all progressing from beginner to intermediate by the end of the year, just as much as any other kid, you yeah. can't make that argument anymore. Right. So data has power um, because it not only um, makes people accountable, and, but it also has the power to make change and uh, we're using it for both purposes. And so far, so good. 
Share Winter recently announced a partnership with the National Ski Areas Association, Professional Ski Instructors of America, and American Association of Snowboard Instructors, the Snow Sports Industry Association, and National Ski Patrol, among others. We asked Constance to share a little bit more about these partnerships. So we were just talking about, you told us that you have some great industry participation coming up this year. It's kind of the new exciting thing. Tell us a little bit more about that. Uh, I'm over the moon for, for all of this. And uh, one of the really great things is when I took over the foundation is that I was very warmly welcomed and given a seat at the table. That's actually how we met. I yeah. got to moderate a panel exactly. on how participation is everyone's responsibility. It's wonderful. You were an amazing panelist, by you the way. You were an amazing panel director. <laughs> Excellent. Actually, guys, the video is available online if oh, you're God. so intrigued now. Um, and, uh, you know, being able to come into the industry as sort of an outsider for a while, I get a lot of, like, who are you? Where'd sure, you come from? Sure. I'm like, Wall Street, y'all. Uh, uh, but being able to go to all of the conferences and speak about the work that we had done and the case studies and the, the trials that we've had. I mean, we've tried some things where we're like, mm, that's not it. Next. Um, and being able to share that with the industry and being welcomed to this community. I mean, given a seat on the table and an opportunity to work with National Ski Areas Association, mm -hmm. with uh, Snow Sports Industries America, and, you know, PSIA, National Ski Patrol, you know, we've just had this really wonderful welcome. The wind kicked up here again, so we're going to dive back into the conversation with Sarah and Constance over the phone. We are now working with SIA, NSAA, PSIA, and NSP. So NSAA and SIA both contributed $40,000 towards our efforts so that we could get some more kids on snow. Um, with uh, SIA, they've also launched a web page now, which you can go to. It's there. Uh, it's at, at snowsports.org. Uh, it's Generation Snow. It's under participation. And there people can go and make donations. They've challenged the industry today um, that in addition to their 40,000, they'd like to raise an additional 60 for an even 100,000 from the industry. So uh, that launched today and we're going to be carrying that through the next year. Um, they are also creating a, or they have created a donation page for unused gear. So manufacturers and SIA members that have coats, skis, snowboards, poles, gloves, neck warmers, goggles. Um, if you have something sitting in a warehouse that uh, you'd like to put to use to give to kids, to give them an excellent on snow experience, you can donate through there. Um, it'll connect you to us and we'll connect you with one of our grantees that is in need of that gear, which is great. Awesome. And that's sort um, of like the, the gear database that we chatted about, right? Yeah, exactly. So hopefully that'll get even more sophisticated over time where um, our grantees can log in and pick the things they need and they'll just drop ship. Right now we're doing a little of that analog connection, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's working out just fine. NSA also contributed $40,000 um, and they've been advocating for us and connecting us to other organizations, uh, regional, state organizations. So as of right now, we're working with the Pennsylvania Ski Areas Association. They donated $25,000. We added a, additional money in order to run our mountain partner program with schools in Pennsylvania. Awesome. So that's great. We have seven mountains and 15 schools we're working with in Pennsylvania this year, thanks to that NSAA PSA connection. Uh, we also started working in Michigan and we've been connected to organizations in Washington who want to do something similar. Um, a lot of states are able to gain revenue um, through things like license plate sales or, or ad yeah. campaigns, et cetera. And they're looking for a way to put it and invest 
invested in participation and our mountain partnership program and allows them to do so. So, you know, what started with ideas at NSA and connections have now grown into regional um, programs that we're launching this year, actually, which is great. Oh, that's great. Yeah. We look forward to hearing more about that. Um, and then with PSIA, we're working with them. Um, we have been developing a universal skills report card. So um, we require that all of the programs track skill progression in youth. So we can see that the kids are actually learning to ski and ride. Yeah. Um, but a lot of programs didn't have a framework to determine where they fall or to even give kids a sense of where they would measure up if they went to another mountain or had an opportunity to take a more advanced lesson. Yeah. So we worked with PSIA to develop that and we will give that to all of our grantees and any partner mountain that wants it. Um, and then there's also a junior instructor program that PSIA has developed that we're working with our grantees to give to teenagers who have progressed through your basic learn to have an interest in pursuing a career um, or enhancing their skills in a way that also makes them employable. Um, and we're doing the same thing with the National Ski Patrol and their Young Adult Patroller Program. Um, and a lot of our programs had addressed that need in the past where they said, look, keeping teenagers engaged is really hard. Like once you do learn to, then what? Yeah. Um, and since we don't fund racing or teams, the kids need to progress in a way that's sustainable. And when you are a patroller or a junior ski instructor, a lot of times you can get access to passes or equipment or gear um, and just enter the employment pipeline in the right. ski, which is really amazing. Well, and that was one of the follow-up questions I had. We kind of talked about, you know, the camper turning into the camp counselor when yeah. we met earlier and the job board, and that's between PSIA and... Well, the job board, we're going to hopefully do with everyone. Ideally, we would like to put it together. SIA had, had started the idea where we could create something for all of our programs to direct kids to look for opportunities um, in their area or if they're going off to college. You know, if you're from Vermont and you're going off to college somewhere else or say you're a kid in New York and you're going to go to school in Vermont, maybe you'll see that you can be a ski instructor on the weekends near your school, um, which enables you to continue skiing and riding um, or volunteer as ski patrol and get training. So we're hoping to develop that more fully, um, just getting started, but there's lots of opportunity there. And we'd be excited to talk to anyone that wanted to contribute to that or add to that or be a part of the employment pipeline. Um, I think it's, I, I think that's really interesting because it also addresses a resort need. Um, yes. Employment when it comes to ski instructors, seasonal employment, volunteers or ski patrol. Um, all of the resorts are saying, you know, this is an area we need to bolster. And so Absolutely. by partnering with you to help out with that, that could go a long way. Sure, Absolutely. But. And that's what we were hearing. Um, we visit our programs. We don't visit all of them every year, but I personally visit a lot of the mountains. Mm -hmm. And when we're there, I really do try to talk to general managers, ski instructors, ski school supervisors, right. and ask what the programs mean to them, what they hope to get out of it, and then also asking what some of their needs are to see where this could happen. And, and employment is huge. Yeah. A lot of ski school supervisors saying, look, I, I, we do more free lessons, but we don't have enough bodies right. to give lessons. We're, um, we're <laughs> struggling trying to find employment or people to employ or people who want to do this. The other critical factor of that is our programs on a whole, um, the kids that participate in them are more diverse than the current participants in skiing generally. And I think there's something to that, that when you have instructors of color, um, the idea of when you can see it, you can be it. And a lot of our kids don't see anyone on mountain that looks like them. And so they kind of look away from those possibilities as far as jobs, 
um, or other opportunities because they can't see themselves in it. And we're hoping that by moving our amazingly talented kids out of these programs into the employment pipeline, it'll also have the added effect of showing everyone else that comes to the mountain that this is a place for everyone and they can see themselves as instructors or ski patrollers or GMs or the head of large resort conglomerates, whatever it is. Um, Actually, one of the other points that kind of got lost in the wind in our last recording was you talked about like the national stats for diversity in the sport and how they compare to your programs and, and you have far more diverse programs. Can you just quick comment on that? Yeah. So overall, and I unfortunately don't have, the most current stats because we just pulled all of our new ones but overall we have significantly more diverse population than um the rest of the industry especially in the skiing and riding nordic not as much i will say nordic is still very white um a lot of it has to do with where our programs are geographically um it sort of self-selects that way a lot of the problem is because there isn't snow in urban areas except for places like minneapolis where we have an amazingly diverse thriving nordic program um which is phenomenal and i think we should look at as a model for urban skiing and riding overall um but a lot of that is part of the issue is that if you look at where populations are more diverse you don't have a lot of programs but that's why we've been looking at investing more in places like new york city no i'm a brooklyn girl so there's a lot of opportunity here and a lot of ski resorts very close by um, Boston, Chicago, um, all these places where you have more diversity. So as we've done that, we've seen that our skier and rider populations have changed drastically. A huge percentage of what you do is Nordic outreach. And um, tell us a little bit about that and why that's kind of a great gateway. Yeah. So we were really lucky very early on in our existence to pair up with Central Cross Country Skiing and pilot and develop this Nordic Rocks for Schools program. So it's basically a Nordic skiing physical education program. And we couldn't find any manufacturers, shout out to any manufacturers listening, that would create these skis for us because they're traditional Nordic skis, they're a little bit smaller, but they have bindings that go over regular winter boots. Which for kids, and especially for schools, you're not gonna store Nordic boots. It gets real gross, guys, it gets real gross. So, but if kids can strap on a pair of skis and grab a set of poles and learn the fundamentals in street shoes that they're comfortable in, uh, that really just introduces a whole new realm of possibility. So the Nordic Rocks program can take place at recess, outside on school grounds. Some places are very lucky in their near groomed trails or trail systems that their community parks department maintain. But for the most part, we're just in schools. And it started in the Midwest. We expanded it to the Northeast, working with NENSA. Um, But we have these ski clubs that have now brought other clubs and other people to the table to supervise this in-school program. What I love about it is, as far as expense goes, it's the least expensive program. I mean, we buy a lot of skis, but a pair of skis can be used by hundreds of kids per year. Um, And they last pretty well. Um, We manufacture them, well, we don't. Central Cross Country does. They actually have a contract with a manufacturer in China. Because again, we've spent six figures on these skis, but none of the manufacturers seems to want to work with us. We're listening, guys. You could make it easier. <laughs> um, so we do have those. We pay to have those produced, and we distribute them to schools. Some schools pay a little bit. Some don't, depending on what the school finances are. But it's become a really big hit, because once a school in a district sees that some elementary school kids are getting to do it, they want to do it. Word of mouth, I mean, it's just booming. In fact, we have a waiting list nationally of schools that want to participate in this program. That's awesome. 
Um, but what I love the most about it is it introduces the concept of winter sports in the environment that you're introducing volleyball and kickball and soccer and football. It's normal. It's part of who you are. It's part of where you live. It's not a sport that's seen as this like weird sport that's reserved Boring. for you. Exactly. It's like, well, basketball wasn't my thing, but I really liked Nordic skiing. Um, and I, I think that's my favorite part of that program. And the big thing this year is we've recruited other clubs within the Central Cross Country system to become touch points and offer out of school programs, weekend programs for kids and families, um, and ways for them to get on traditional Nordic equipment or learning racing techniques or advancing their skills. So we're really working hard on converting the mandatory school program into an elective recreational Nordic program. And we're really excited to see what that turns into. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds great. Also, the minute the kids like find a hill, right. they're just like, here we go. <laughs> yeah. So I see it as an entree to all winter sports because once a kid just is like, let's do this. <laughs> well, yeah, you get outside on snow and it all goes downhill. <laughs> exactly. In a good way. There's like skis or skis. Let's do this. Remember that special announcement we mentioned earlier? Constance will have it for you in just a moment. Are you looking to make a bigger impact at your resort? Learn how to create a culture of high engagement and performance in your team with the Peak Navigator program. This leadership development program was developed by Paul Tallner, CEO and founder of High Peaks Group, a consulting firm that tackles tough workplace challenges. Learn more at www.saminfo.com slash peak dash navigator. And now let's get back to that announcement. So you're hearing it first. <laughs> um, so can you tell us a little bit about who are some new grantees for this year? Yeah, we have a lot of great new grantees um, and expanding into new states um, and new nonprofit ski areas, which we're really excited about. So Whaleback Mountain is, is joining our list of nonprofit ski areas, which is awesome. Another East Coast mountain um, taking on the nonprofit community-based model. So that's going to be really fun to watch and, and see what happens. Um, we also added Antelope Butte out in Wyoming. So that's another nonprofit ski area to join the ranks of Sky Tavern um, and Mount Ashland, which we've had tremendous success with and we're really proud of. So we've been really excited to add those models. Um, we are adding the Coombs Foundation um, in Jackson, uh, which is a longstanding organization that has really made great strides as far as buttoning up their data and their systems. And we're really excited to welcome them. They're very enthusiastic incredible organization um, in Jackson Hole. Uh, Big Sky Youth Empowerment um, in Big Sky, Montana. We did not have programs in Wyoming or Montana. We added both of those this year. Um, we also expanded into Idaho. Uh, we have the Sun Valley Ski Education Foundation is operating some youth programs at Rotor Run, which is another nonprofit ski area. So we are bringing them on board. The Bridger Ski Foundation, a Nordic program. Um, they have immense Nordic trails in Bozeman, Montana. It's also one of the fastest growing cities in America. So we're trying to get in early in Bozeman as more kids move there, making it accessible to everyone that's there. Um, they're a fabulous foundation. They've been around for about 35 years. So we're bringing in a lot of um, institutional knowledge with programs um, in these new states that we've expanded to. Um, so those are all really exciting. Um, we're also adding the service board which is a small organization uh, out in the Pacific Northwest. We've been watching them for a couple of years. They've made really great strides in the past couple of years. 
Um, and then we found that we started partnering with other organizations that fund those same three. They made the same decision about us. We've been talking to Evo, which is a retailer um, who's had an immense charitable presence. I've worked with them in several iterations of my life. As far as businesses doing good, they've been amazing. So, you know, we, we've been looking at, they've recommended a couple of programs to us and they helped us found, find these guys. This is where that industry partnership really helps when someone says, hey, in my backyard, mm -hmm. this is what's working and we're able to find them. So the service board is another one we're excited to add. Um, and then adding a ton of school programs, uh, this partnership with the state of Pennsylvania with the uh, Pennsylvania Skiers Association is huge yeah. um, and amazing. We're seeing a lot of interesting things come out of that. We have some pilots uh, at Bel Air Mountain with school programs, trying to convince the state of New York to uh, also jump in on this, yeah. this train. Um, but yeah, we've, we've added quite a few partners this year, but competition was steep. We got a lot of applications. We got applications for about $3 million worth of grants and we gave away 1 million. So, um, which is where we stay roughly, um, just because we want to make sure that we're growing incrementally and that we're giving people what they need. Yeah. But we have a great crop of organizations and the ones that we were funding in the past are growing, which is great. So supporting the nonprofit skier is, is that relatively new? Um, no. So we've actually been doing it kind of from the start. Okay. Um, before I took over, uh, we had heavy involvement with um, National Winter Activity Center, which is in New Jersey. Um, that one's a very special nonprofit model. But when I came in, I realized that there were other organizations doing something similar, but were not just kid-based. They were community-based. Right. Um, so the first one that I came across was actually Cochran's in Vermont, which we fund programs that go there. We don't fund them directly. But looking at their model and what that meant for their community, um, and then I made a visit to Sky Tavern, and I was just blown away. Sky Tavern, you know, I met them at an NSA conference. I had spoken on a panel about uh, investing in community-based initiatives and I met Bill Henderson and I visited Sky Tavern. I was like, Oh, this is a thing. Yeah. Is awesome. And then just started doing our research and we've reached out to some areas as well. And Antelope Butte found us, Mount Ashland found us. And we just love the way that they're working with their community to keep like the passion and the grassroots level of skiing alive. Um, I think that's a huge area of investment the industry should not overlook. Yeah. They're really amazing partners. So you're investing in their kids programming essentially? Yes. Yeah. And we're looking, I mean, ultimately I'm not there yet. Um, a personal dream of mine is to have a fund that solely funds infrastructure builds at these nonprofit areas. A lot of them need snowmaking. Yep. Um, and they also need a lot of guidance. Um, this is a great call out to ski area management generally if you want to put your skills to work in a community-based program a lot of these organizations could use the guidance the help some advice on how to sustainably build their snowmaking programs how to build out some of their trails maintenance stuff like that because a lot of them are operating with older equipment um but they're operating massive programs on tiny budgets yeah. if you see how far a dollar can be stretched go to a nonprofit yeah. <laughs> with a small amount of people. <laughs> Absolutely. But like they serve huge amounts of kids. I mean like sky tavern, it's 1200 kids. Wow. This is, it's bigger than most of our other programs that have significantly higher budgets. I mean, sky taverns operating budget as a whole is less than what chill or SOS outreaches and they are serving a huge amounts of kids. So that's a place that, 
we've had the, the benefit of looking at what you could do at a place like the National Winter Activity Center when you can build it up with like a lot of financing right. versus looking at these volunteer-based models. They're very different, but the learnings that we've been able to apply to that and, and thinking about what we could do in the future if we, if we can garner a little bit more investment, I think there's huge potential there. Cool. A few more questions or two more questions for you. Just expectations for the season, 2019-20, how it's going to differ from previous ones. It sounds like um, you have more to invest, which is amazing, and you're, you're reaching out to more people. The goal is always to get more kids on snow. Um, yeah, so what are your, your biggest expectations or your biggest things that you're excited about for this season? Yeah, what's really exciting is with our returning grantees is really focusing on the next step in the participation pipeline and on the conversion rates of programs outside of their program, getting the kids on snow when they aren't on a program day by providing opportunity or giving them access to season passes or lift tickets or gear and really buffering up that piece. For those grantees that have been with us for a couple of years, that's a huge focus. Um, and everyone's really excited about it and we're, we're testing some new ideas. So moving into that space is incredibly exciting. Um, with the new grantees, it's just getting to know them, getting them on the data collection train. I mean, we've, we've grown quite a bit. I mean, we were at 38,000 last year and we're gonna be at 45,000 this year. That's a huge jump. Um, this will probably be the last year of massive jump unless we get some crazy amount of investment. I think for us to, to jump again, it would require us giving away 2 million instead of 1 million. So we'd need to raise a lot more money to make these kinds of strides. Yeah. Um, but the focus next year is going to be a lot on piloting never ever programs at YMCA's, um, boys and girls clubs, other community-based initiatives. Mm -hmm. Um, because We've seen that most of our grantees are coming out of similar areas, but there's lots of cities where there's nothing. Yeah. So we really like to figure out what we can build from scratch based off of the beautiful templates that we have from our 28 different partners who all do things in a different way. So we're trying to put that together and start offering that even for programs we can't fund is providing them resources and templates to build their own community programs and then apply for a grant from us. So giving them the building blocks and the tools to start stuff from scratch. Yeah. And that's really connecting with already established community centers. Absolutely. They already have the connection to, to the kids and it's great. Absolutely. Awesome. Anything else you want to do? You want to comment on? Ooh, I don't know. I mean, I think the interesting thing is there's a lot of opportunity in the industry Mm -hmm. But it takes all of us. I mean, honestly, people always ask how we do this. And the thing is, we can't do it alone. So we have our partners. Our partners have local connections. They have their individual relationships with the resorts. Um, and we're open to other ideas. I mean, what's wonderful is people find us and they find me and they send me emails. and They say, we're doing this thing in Washington. Okay. Did you know this existed? And in all honesty, we're a tiny staff. Um, we rely on the industry to tell us what's happening and to tell us what they need. Yeah. And then if they have the resources to share it. Um, the interesting thing about the participation problem is it can be solved with things we already have. Um, yeah. The major component is collaboration. Anything that happens in a silo, it, it's too far removed from the greater community to have the kind of impact that I think we want as an industry. Um, and there's so much opportunity to work together. And, and having had the past couple of months of partnership with the trade associations, 
just the intellectual power of having their resources, their ideas, their teams, the growth committees, even getting to talk to people like you and sitting on committee calls is that's brain power that quite frankly, I don't have the finances to buy. But the fact that it's being shared is enabling us to overcome massive barriers. And I think the more that that happens within the industry and the more that we're willing to share that, I say level the playing field and then compete after all of these new customers that you have. But for right now, there's nothing to lose by providing opportunity for as many kids to fall in love with this sport and make it a part of their life and their future. And then, you know, engage in your marketing tactics once they have the money to buy everything you want to sell them. (laughs) But for right now, why not work together and level the playing field? (laughs) Well, you guys are doing awesome things to connect all the dots. Like you said, the information's out there, the resources are out there. And yeah, I think what you're doing is amazing. So keep up the good work, Constance. We love it. And hey, you know, we love winners. So we share winner. If you want to learn more about ShareWinter or to donate or apply for a grant, visit www.sharewinterfoundation.org. We have more episodes of PodSAM coming your way, including year three of the Summit Series, so be sure to like, subscribe, and review. Those five-star reviews help more like-minded individuals find this podcast. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The PodSAM advisor is Alex Kaufman, the Wintry Mix podcast guy. I am Sarah Bordeaux, and you are listening to PodSAM. Mm-hmm.